walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, in this art he is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah, back. What's up, everybody? Hardest part of the ring is back at ya with some AE dub. It's been a while. It has been a hot, sexy minute since I really dedicated some time into talking about AEW. I think it was like What All Out last year. I guess they don't do a lot of pay-per-views, right? So it's not the craziest thing. I think they've only had two that I haven't really come up here and talked about, which I like, by the way. I love, I think I tweeted this out, but I love the, uh, the pay-per-view model that AEW kind of operates under. It's all, it's similar to how WWE used to do it, like in the mid-90s and whatnot. They would have, you know, four or five pillar pay-per-views, main big-time pay-per-views, and then they'd have, you know, smaller specials. Like, I, w- I would compare, like, Bash at the Beach and Fighter Fest and shit like that. I think that's kind of akin to like an in-your-house type of type of event, right? At least that's how I see it in my eyes. I know we're not paying for it, but as far as like magnitude and how big they are, how important they are, I see a lot of similarities with how AEW and you know 94, 94, or I guess 95, 96 WWF operated, and I like that. I like not having a pay-per-view every month. I understand from a business perspective why you would want to do that. But as a consumer, which I am and which you most likely are, I don't need a pay-per-view every month. You know what I mean? Give me entertaining TV. Give me a few specials on TV every now and then. But we don't need a pay-per-view every four or three weeks, you know? Makes it less special. It almost makes it seem tedious. Like a tedious pit stop rather than a big culminating event. That's what it should feel like. That's how AEW Revolution felt like to me this year. It felt like it had been building. Now, not all the matches were built that great, in my opinion, but it still felt like a big event. You know, you had the the huge signing that Paul White teased. You had the the main event, which we'll get into, don't worry. Uh, The barbed wire exploding deathmatch piranhas on a pole, Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. You had that match. You had... uh, Sting returning to the ring, quote unquote, to the ring. Um, yeah, you had a bunch of stuff. You had a little something for everybody. It did feel like kind of like a like a hodgepodge of stuff, which is like I get it is fine, but it felt like a lot of gaga. This pay per view, that's not even necessarily a bad or a good thing. It, it, it didn't. This didn't seem to be a lot of just wrestling, in my opinion. Um. But it is what it is. I don't mind a little gaga every now and then. But it felt like nah, I don't know, man. It just felt like a lot. Because you know, while I w- while you know, I'm saying that I was excited for this pay per view. I was very eager to buy it. Very eager to watch it. It's like, wow, is it? it um, we're paying for pay per views again. This feels like I'm going to Blockbuster and we're renting a fucking movie, right? So it's cool. It's fine. The build is great. But let's talk about the execution, huh? Now I don't want to, you know. There was some good stuff on this show. And we'll we'll for sure get into it. But overall, this pay-per-view, I'll put it this way. It gave me more all-out 2020 vibes than it did full gear 2020 vibes. And that's not a good thing. It gave me vibes of 
Matt Hardy almost dying from falling onto the concrete floor and not vibes of, you know, Young Bucks versus FTR or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was a solid pay-per-view. Um, definitely not. I'm like kind of like thinking of like all their, they haven't had that many pay-per-views in all reality, but definitely not their worst. I like, like I said, all out 2020, I would say that was definitely worse. Um, what was the one where, uh, was it double or nothing last year? It was the one where like cage debuted in that really shitty ladder match. And you had like Lance Archer versus Cody and. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. That, that one was probably worse than this too. But yeah, Revolution, definitely not a, a strong, strong show in my opinion. Although there were strong elements to it. But I think as a whole, I think there was just a lot of dead space within it. But yeah, I mean, might as well just get right. You know, so we had the buy-in, which full transparency. I, I didn't start watching until like halfway through. Um, so it's Thunder Rosa and Riho. Versus Britt Baker and a mystery partner. We got a lot of that. We got a lot of that on this show. Um, I guess the idea was uh, Rebel was uh, supposed to be Britt's partner, but she was injured, I guess, or couldn't get a doctor's note. Some hullabaloo regarding that. So Britt Baker had to find a new partner. And who does she pick? Maki Ito. Hell yeah, doggy. I am... uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm super familiar on Japanese women's wrestling because I'm not. I'm not at all. But uh, Maki Ito made a a big name for herself, I guess, on social media, really, right? Really introducing herself to the American audience and her character and the American audience, I think, is just a perfect blend. That's what <laughs> us stupid Americans want. We want, we want cursing. We we want vulgarity. We want sh- a lot a lot of feces and all that. We want all of it, right? And that's what Maki Ito brings. And really, my first like kind of my first time watching her, really. And uh, she's got a lot of charisma for sure. I think she injects a lot of character into the women's division, which is definitely something that it could use for sure. Um, but can't speak too much to her abilities in the ring because, like I said, this is really all I've seen of her. Uh, but from what I saw of this match, it seemed like the crowd was into it. Seemed fun t- towards the end. Uh, ultimately, Britt and Makito win when Reba hits Thunder Rosa in the back with a crutch, allowing Britt Baker to get the win here. And um, yeah, just another situation where Britt Baker is on the buy-in. I, I guess that's her thing. I guess she got bumped up to the main show in the last pay-per-view, right? Or was it the pay-per-view before that? I don't remember. But, um, yeah, man, Britt Baker, I mean, it seems like, I don't know what they're waiting on <laughs> as far as, like, giving her the title or at least giving her a, a decent program for the title. Maybe she's just such a strong character that she's used to be that, like, to kind of hold down the, like, the secondary women's feuds, if that makes any sense. Like, you can have Sheeta face people. And have the title be the whole thing, right? But then you have secondary to that. You can have Britt Baker, who is such a strong character. And she can bring people up without necessarily having a title be involved, right? That's what they tried to do with Big Swole. But Big Swole fucking sucks, so that didn't work. Thunder Rosa, I mean, they had a, a pretty good little deal there, too. And I guess it's still going, right? So, um, a lot of people say Britt Baker's being misused. And while I see what they're saying... She's constantly on TV. She's constantly involved with something. And it's only a matter of time before she wins the title and becomes the face of the women's division. So I'm willing to uh, have patience with that. And good to see her get a win. And yeah, man, so that brings us to the main show. I don't know why I said it like that. But the main show, the opening match, we have the AEW tag team titles on the line. We have the champions the young bucks versus chris jericho and mjf this match so this is actually probably one of my favorite matches of the night in in all honesty and i did not expect that at all um so here's the thing this is a fun match right now if if i just turn my podcaster brain off it was a fun match however there were certain parts of this that you just couldn't ignore 
it felt like just a lot. There was a lot of waiting around for spots happening, particularly MJF. He was the biggest culprit in my eyes. There were a lot of situations where he would just be like bent over, waiting for something, waiting for one of the Bucks to do something, or he'd be standing around waiting for some sort of her and Kenrana or some shit, right? It just felt really clumsy and like the selling was non-existent in that aspect. You know, young Bucks get a lot of shit for being very choreographed. And I've I've said before that I think the Bucks get more hate than they deserve. I think they do have a great psychology element to them. I don't think they're just flips and flops, at least anymore. I think in the past couple of years, they've really stepped up their game in terms of having like really cohesive storytelling in their matches. But ultimately, like they are their in-ring style can be very choreographed a lot of the times. And when they're facing a team, a team that's specifically like Jericho and MJF, who are more traditional wrestlers, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, um, not as spotty generally. It's almost like it was a clash of styles because you have the Bucks who are very spotty and Jericho and MJF who are not as spotty. So maybe that was just like a styles clash that made for some awkward interactions within the match could all just be a symptom of the young buck style could just be you know maybe they had an off night but a lot of telegraph stuff in this match that kind of took me out of it at, at certain places but ultimately like i said it was a fun watch especially towards the end a lot of good near falls um you had the bucks hitting the bte trigger with mjf interrupting you had uh jericho hitting one of the bucks in the back of the leg with his bat and then mjf hitting the heat seeker uh, I bid on that one. I thought that might have been it, but nope. Ultimately, the Bucks end up winning with the Meltzer driver and retain the tag team titles. So uh, good to see that. I hope because the Bucks, you know, they're still pretty early on in their run. And whether you like it or not, the the Bucks are the face of that division and they deserve a uh, a long title run. When I when I say deserve, I don't mean oh you, you deserve it. Clap 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 clap. You deserve. Clap, not, that's not what I mean. I mean they deserve it because for a team like the Young Bucks who are so high in credibility, at least especially in front of the the audience that watches AEW, to have them have a long run with the titles would only amp up the credibility of those tag team titles and they're believable champions and there's a lot of heel tag teams that I think could potentially have some good programs and some good matches with the Young Bucks so good to see them retain and in terms of the inner circle there was a promo later in the show backstage with Alex Marvez or whoever the fuck basically they announced that there would be a war council on dynamite. So what we had the fucking the the state of the union or whatever the fuck. <laughs> it seems like every week they have some sort of uh they they had a, a, a inner circle intervention. They had they had a uh inner circle uh press conference. They have they have all these different things that are kind of the same thing. Um but we have another one and they're calling it the war the war council and I guess that suggests that there's going to be changes to the inner circle. And MJF kind of alluded to that by basically saying to Jericho that he knows what changes need to happen within the inner circle and that he's going to make those changes on Wednesday. So could be MJF turning on Jericho, but that almost seems too obvious to me. That almost seems like the, yeah, like, of course, Like, it seems like that's what they've been building to. So it almost seems too obvious at this point. I'm thinking maybe he could turn on Wardlow, MJF. um, Or maybe we see an addition to the group rather than somebody getting kicked out. Could be fucking anybody. Could be Serpentico. Could be uh, Angelico. Could be uh, Negative One. Could be anybody. So who knows? But I guess that's the idea, right? to get you to tune in and see what happens. So that's kind of the deal with the inner circle. I'm kind of tired of the whole like MJF inner circle thing, honestly, like just let MJF be MJF. Let Jericho be Jericho. Let Santana and Ortiz like break off of this, please. If that, if that's what, if, if you're asking me what I want from this, 
from the little war ca- war council deal. By the way, I'm only like 80% sure that if they called it a war council, I could be totally wrong and look like an utter goose, but I don't care to research it. Uh, but yeah, Santana and Ortiz, they're, I think at this point, they're being a little held back by the inner circle. I understand having Jericho being like kind of your umbrella for everything you do is a good thing because he's a huge name. But at this point, I think they've kind of overstayed their welcome. And I love to see them kind of be unleashed in the tag division because they're capable of so much more. Um, But I guess keep fucking Hager in there. I don't really give a shit what he does and his stupid hair. Um, What do we have after that? Oh, boy. (laughs) The Casino Tag Team Battle Royale. So I didn't have a lot of expectations. going into this match and uh i don't know man it just felt like a lot of biting time until the end like it seemed like just a lot of things happened and then we got to the end when all the teams had kind of came in and then okay now i can start paying attention like one of those kind of things you know what i mean so it's essentially a, a, a royal rumble with tag teams yeah two teams start and then every 90 seconds another team enters which is fine. You know, you get a lot of teams, you get them exposure on pay-per-view. That's fine. I get it. Personally watching it, I didn't give a single fuck until the end. So, but that's just me. And especially, you know, was there, was there even any st- stakes to it? I assume the winner got a tag team title shot, right? I'm pretty sure that that's what it was, but you know, they kind of hand those out willy nilly anyways. So it's like, who cares? Um, but it really picked up at the end, for sure. The ending stretch of this match is pretty fucking awesome, actually. Especially with, with Pac, Phoenix, Jungle Boy, like John Silver was in there. I can't remember the exact order of people of, of getting eliminated. But I know the last three were Pac, Phoenix, and Pac, Pac, X-Pac, Six. Whatever the fuck his name is. Pac, Phoenix, and Jungle Boy. So you had the team of Death Triangle versus Jungle Boy. So Jungle Boy was fighting from underneath. I think it was actually towards the end. It was three teams and Jungle Boy. So he was fighting from underneath for throughout the entire like last couple minutes of this match. Um, and he ended up being in the final three, actually final two. So Jungle Boy looked really strong in this match, which I like. Um, but ultimately, Death Triangle wins this match with uh, Phoenix being the last survivor. Uh, Phoenix and Jungle Boy specifically had a really good interaction like a mini match of sorts towards the end. I like to see them have a one-on-one match at some point, but Phoenix wins for death triangle, solidifying them as the number one contenders. I'm assuming for the tag team titles. So I guess we're going to see death triangle versus uh young bucks. Huh? Well, fucking butter my tits and call me Susan. That sounds like a great match to me. Huh? Death trunk, man. I love everybody. Uh, Pot pack Phoenix, Pentagon, probably my some of my three favorite guys in the AEW right now. And I feel like they, at least recently, have been kind of in the background a little bit. Um, I hope 2021 has a lot of those guys. I hope we see, you know, main events, world titles, TNT titles, uh, tag titles. You know, I'd love to see success for them as a team and as individuals. Especially, you know, Phoenix, the Lucha Bros. I strongly prefer the Lucha Bros as singles myself. Uh, but that's just me. I've seen Lucha Underground and I've seen what they're capable of when they are singles. And personally, I prefer Lucha Underground Pentagon over AEW Pentagon. And same goes for Phoenix as well. And, you know, we all know how awesome Pac is. He can do literally fucking anything. So hope we see more of them in 2021. Glad they got the win here. Um, but yeah, happy days. Happy days. But after that... We have the AEW Women's Championship on the line. The champion Hikaru Shida versus Ryu Mizunami. This is another situation. Like I said, not too familiar with the Joshi scene in Japan. Not too familiar with Mizunami outside of what we've seen from her in AEW. Um, so maybe I'm not the most uh, educated person. Maybe I don't have the most educated opinion on her. And I, I can acknowledge that. But as an AEW viewer, from what I've seen from Ryu Mizunami, 
she elicits the same emotion from me that Mojo Raleigh does. It's not good. It's not a good thing. She comes out to this fucking Pitbull song. She she looks like Okada. She does the she's dancing like she's having fun, Michael. I get it. It's I get it. Colors, flamboyance, I get it. It's not for me. It's not for me. She just annoys me. I don't know what it is. She does not tickle my pickle. So it is what it is. And then uh you have Sheeta, who I'm a big fan of. I think she is uh kind of, you know, she's holding down that women's division for all it's, you know, for better or worse. She's she's the best part of that division by far and uh deservingly the champion. And uh this match, so I understand that these two have had matches in the past. Um and maybe those matches were better than this one. For me just watching this match, it just didn't click for me. I don't, I don't know what it is. It felt off. Now maybe there's like story elements between these two that were lost on me but as somebody who's watching AEW I shouldn't have to be familiar with all their work in Japan that's just how it is and um, I'm watching this match it didn't seem like there was any chemistry between these two it felt very clunky it felt very you know another situation where they're just like kind of waiting for spots to happen Um, it's like it felt fast when it should have been slow and it felt slow when it should have been fast. I don't know exactly how to articulate how I felt, but it just seemed like a lot of like, like just go do it. Like I, I felt like I was yelling that a lot at my TV <laughs> when I was watching this. Go, go, what do you do? What are you waiting for? It was a lot of that. It was a lot of that. And um, Ryu Mizunami was just like dancing in the beginning. And I was like, why are you, this, you're, you're doing this too much. You're doing this too much. Uh, the selling on both parts were kind of bizarre. It's like they, I, I'm not going to say that they weren't selling. And I get the whole, you know, fighting spirit and all that shit, right? I get it. But it seemed like it, they did it when it didn't really make sense. It's like they would no sell something and then sell it, but then go back to no selling. I don't know. It just seemed like there wasn't a lot of continuity or cohesion with any of the selling in this match. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, there were spots in this match that were hype that I enjoyed, but it felt like, you know, it would be a sprint and then they'd die and not like, I'm not saying they slowed down the pace into something methodical. I mean, it just like stopped. Like it was like, it just, it was like, they just wanted to fill time. That's what it felt like to me. I don't want to shit on these ladies too much, but yeah, this match didn't really hit for me, but there's a lot of people online that loved it. So Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my preference in wrestling. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe I've just watched it differently than other people. That's that's perfectly fine, by the way. I'm not going to tell somebody else that their opinion's wrong on this match. This is how I felt. This is the Apron Bump Podcast. I'm going to tell you my opinion. I'm not going to fucking suck your dick and throw your opinion out my asshole. That's what I'm saying. That's the, that's the tagline to my podcast, actually, if it's, it's in really small font. Um, but yeah. Sheeta gets the win here with a uh, like a spinning kick, a trouble in paradise, if you will. <laughs> it's gonna light a lot of people on fire by using WWE terminology to describe a Japanese wrestling match. But um, yeah, like a hurricane spinning kick to Mizunami gets her the win. She retains the title, and yeah, who knows what lies in the future for her? Maybe a Britt Baker, maybe a, you know Thunder Roses floating around you have Maki Ito there lots of potential maybe another match with Nyla Rose who knows uh the women's division still remains kind of stagnant at this point um they're treading water which is better than you know plummeting plummeting I guess (laughs) um they have you know a few good matches every now and then I think it was Serena Deeb and Riho had a really good match on Dynamite. The, the, the tournament had a lot of good matches, actually, this recent women's tournament. Um, so they have the potential. The talent is there. It's just kind of putting it all together. So hopefully they figure it out soon. Um, and hopefully they figure this out soon as well. Miro and Kip Sapien versus Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. Ugh. All right. Where where do I fucking begin with this shit? First of all, the match was what it was. It was very forgettable. Again, just didn't click with me. It didn't feel 
It felt slow just for the sake of being slow. It felt, I don't know. He had the whole deal with Miro and Kip attacking the best friends backstage. So they were just kind of, it was basically a handicap match against Chuck Taylor throughout, throughout the first, at least half of the match. Right. So he had that old deal. And then orange Cassidy makes their miraculous comeback and all that shit. It was fine, I guess. Um, but when you, when you're just looking at the players in this match, right? Orange Cassidy. This dude was huge. He had that amazing match with Pac at, was it last year's revolution? I believe it was, right? And then uh, he had the whole feud with Chris Jericho that shot him to the moon. Pretty much made him the mascot of AEW, like one of the major faces of the company. And now he's kind of just been relegated to this undercard feud. So it's kind of bizarre how they've kind of failed to capitalize on Orange Cassidy. But maybe, you know, devil's advocate, maybe they're trying to use him to bring up Chuck Taylor. Maybe they're trying to use him to bring up Miro and Kip Sabian. So at that in that way, I can kind of see what they're doing. But ultimately in the execution, what's all that's really resulted is Orange Cassidy kind of feels like less of a big deal. That's just how I see it. Um, so hopefully we see more. And Orange Cassidy, man, I don't know. I just don't have a lot of faith in him having a, a long shelf life. Like his whole act is like, it's hilarious when you first see it, but it's like, how long can you continue doing the same thing? And how is he going to evolve with the times? And maybe he will, you know, I hope he does. But as of right now, he's kind of seems like he's spinning his wheels a little bit. Um, And Chuck Taylor is kind of the same thing. Chuck Taylor is a guy that I just have like an irrational hate for. I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's just how he's like, uh, like shrugs his shoulders and goes ha, wrestling. Am I right? Like he has that kind of attitude all the time. Like, isn't this silly? Isn't pro wrestling silly like that? He has that kind of like aura to him. It's like, all right, man, how do you want me to take you seriously? Or do you want me to just change the channel when you're on TV? Like pick, pick one. Um, Kip Sabian, he's kind of just been there throughout his entire run there. Um, he's kind of just Penelope Ford's husband at this point. And then, uh, you have Miro. Oh boy, we have Miro. Whew. All right. So here's the thing. Now you hear it a lot online, right? Uh, AEW, they've just fumbled Miro. They, they've been booking him like shit. Oh, he was better in WWE. He might as well just go back to WWE because he was being booked better there. Listen. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. Put your ears inside my mouth. Miro. So AEW is very well known for giving their performers a lot of creative freedom. Some may say too much. You see that a lot. And I don't think there's any better representation of that than Miro. Miro is a video game guy, like uh, like in real life. He has a Twitch channel. He's he's a big gamer. That's his personality, he, and that the sense of humor that we've seen on AEW. That's his sense of humor. The character that we see on AEW, and I, I don't know. I don't know Miro. I'm not backstage. I'm not in the writer's room. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm, I'm a fly on the wall in the creative meetings, but just, just using context clues and using my knowledge of watching Miro throughout the years. I think it's very safe to say that Miro's character in AEW is completely manufactured by Miro. It wasn't a character that was given to him. It wasn't a writer that kind of writes scripts for him. It's like, oh, what if you could be like a gamer guy? Tony Khan didn't come up to him. It's like, hey, do you want to like call yourself the best man? Do you want to like have a have a feud revolving around a, a broken game system? Do you want to call your finisher the game over? I think we should have you do. No, Miro wanted that. Miro created this character that we see on AEW. That's him. That's not Tony Khan. That's not AEW. That's him. So it's not AEW's fault for his booking because that's what Miro wanted. And this is my assumption, but I think it's a very safe assumption. Even though it did drive me fucking crazy that Tony Khan used the ranking system to, 
to justify it because Miro came in towards the late, you know, later in the year last year. And then Tony was asked about his booking and his place on the card and how he hasn't really clicked with the audience. And then Tony Khan's like, oh, well, you see the rankings, they, they don't reset until the beginning of the year. So we can't just throw him into a world title match if he, you know, he doesn't have the, 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 the record for it. So we got to wait till the next year when the rankings reset. So now he can, you know, compete for world titles and be, first of all, he's not competing for world titles right now. And it's fucking March. First of all, second of all, you're going to pretend like Brian Cage didn't debut in his first match and win a world title shot. You're going to pretend like you can't just throw tomato cans at Roos or Miro on AEW dark and bump up his record. So that really annoyed me when Tony Khan blamed it on the fucking ranking system. That was absolutely absurd. But other than that, man, Miro's just kind of, he's still finding his footing. He's trying to figure out a way to translate his personality into his character because he does have a big personality. It's just how do you translate that into a character on TV? Because he's a heel, so he's like trying to be funny, but like trying to also be intimidating. It's a whole thing. It's it's a real, you know, mismanaged thing from a lot of different, you know, perspectives, but at the end of the day, man, he's a beast. Miro is a fucking beast. Do you see him kick the shit out of Orange Cassidy on Dark? He almost sent his head into the fourth row with a Machka kick. Miro has the talent, man. It's just a matter of harnessing it and having something to really like dig his teeth into as far as the storyline goes. I was hoping maybe we'd see him turn on Kip Sapien and kind of break off into his own thing. But uh, that isn't what happened. But what did happen was Miro ended up winning the match by tapping out Chuck Taylor with the accolade or whatever he calls it. Does he call it the game over? I don't know. He probably does, right? Whatever. Campbell Clutch, ethnic submission, whatever you want to call it. Miro wins the match in very dominating fashion. Looks like a beast, but he's still with with, uh, Kip Sapien. Look, man, the best man stuff. He's trying to rekindle the Rusev Day momentum. He's trying to think of a chant that people can chant. Best man, best man. It's it's just not hitting with the audience, man. Nobody cares. The best man stuff is done. They're the you know Kip and Penelope are married now. Just let it let it die, man. Just be a just be a fucking animal. Just be a Bulgarian animal, and don't worry about the stupid fucking T-shirt catchphrases. Okay, thanks. Um, what's after that, folks? Hangman Adam Page versus Matt Hardy in a big money match. The winner of this match gets the first quarter earnings of the loser, which is kind of a funny stipulation in all honesty. But uh, this match again like it's it seems like it's kind of becoming a theme but it, it just feels like another match that went on a little longer than it needed to um i can appreciate a methodical pace i can appreciate you know a build to a ultimate climax but man it just felt like it dragged a lot for me you know there was the uh, i do like the, you know the matt hardy working on the hand of Adam Page, you know, stomping his hand in between the steps and the the rampway, uh, you know, eliminating all of his signature moves, his buckshot lariat, his uh, his dead eye, or at least trying to eliminate those moves. So I get the psychology of it, and I, um, you know, Matt Hardy, he's a guy who's gonna want to neutralize somebody who's more fast paced than him and have a more, uh, like I said, methodical type of match, and I get it, right? But as far as just pure entertainment value, I was kind of not too invested in it for whatever reason. Um, but then you have private party interfering uh, again, kind of just like biding time for Matt Hardy to recover from the onslaught from Adam page towards the end of the match. So you have private party coming out there to kind of help their boy. Um, then you have dark order coming out there to neutralize private party. Um, Cause they are trying to, I don't know if they're trying to recruit, hangman or if they're just like hey can we be your friends can we hug can we kiss that kind of deal maybe it is maybe it isn't i don't know but uh dark order comes out there fights off private party which allows hangman to hit the buckshot lariat onto matt hardy and one two three adam page 
is your winner and he gets all of broken big money matt version one's earnings for the first quarter for q1 2021 fun <laughs> no it was you know it was a decent match definitely again i feel like i'm saying this about every match here but it really picked up at the end um so i guess you could say it built to something which maybe that's a good thing i guess but um Oh no, it was fine. He had a little deal with the Dark Order at the end. They're all hugging Hangman Adam Page. And you know, I do kind of like the pivot they've taken with the Dark Order uh, ever since Brody's passing. And they've definitely, I mean, they're a natural babyface team at this point now. You can't really go any other way with it, right? But Page is uh, rightfully so very hesitant to join them, at least in a even if he doesn't like join the dark order, but just enjoying like a friendship between them, you know? So, but it's the scene, like the culmination of all that work that John silver and all of them have done to kind of recruit page. And now it seems like they're a big old happy family. So, but, uh, on Twitter, hangman page put it better than I ever could in saying that maybe the big money was the friends we made along the way. And that's just some, some good-natured stuff. Really warms my cockles. Doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, though, good shit. Um, hope to see uh, Paige in more of a, a high-profile position after this because he's definitely one of the best talents they have at this point. Um, and Matt Hardy, like, dude, like... Man, I'm I'm the biggest Hardy Boys mark you'll ever find, right? But man, Matt Hardy's just a guy that takes himself a little too seriously. Um, the multi-faceted or multi-characters, what does he call it? Multi-facetious, multi-feces. He's multi-feces with his characters in that he had he's he, he's like everybody at the same time. He's broken, but he's also big money. He's also version one. He's like I get it. He's trying to, oh, but the story, man. Look, look at. You gotta think about it. He's he's like all of these like okay, dude. Like, take it easy, all right. It's not that, it's not that deep. But just be a guy, be it be a a veteran mind backstage. You know what he's done with Private Party has been great in my opinion. He's given them some direction. Um, but as far as like these big one on one matches with Matt Hardy, I'm I'm about done with it personally. But then after that, we have the face. Of the Revolution Ladder Match. So, uh, hanging from the rafters is a gold... Um, you know, like, when you, uh... When you hurt your asshole and you have to sit on a on a donut? You know, to ease the pain? It seemed like one of those, but gold. So I guess that that's what they're all reaching for, huh? A big gold asshole donut. So, uh, very high stakes. As you can see. No, but obviously, you know, bla blast, blasting out your asshole. The brass ring hanging from the rafters. And whoever can grab the brass ring. Ha 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 ha. Fun. Whoever grabs it gets a number one contenders. Or is the number one contender for the TNT championship. So love the stakes in this match, in all honesty. Um and really didn't really didn't really know uh which way it was going but going into this match so it's a six person match but only five of the competitors competitors were announced we had Cody Rhodes Penta El Cerro Miedo versus Scorpio Sky versus Lance Archer versus Max Caster versus All Ego Ethan Page Woo doggy. So admittedly, I'm not like super familiar with Ethan Page other than the uh, handful of the North matches that I've seen in Impact. A great team over there with Josh Alexander. Who knows if that'll be a team that we see in AEW down the line. But uh, as a singles, I haven't seen too much of Ethan Page. I've seen some of his promos. I know he's a really charismatic guy. Can be a really strong character if given the chance. And uh, pretty solid in the ring, too, as far as I know. So, good signing there. Um, seems like a guy that has a lot of potential. A lot of guys support this guy. So, I'm all for all ego and seeing what he can do in AEW. Um, but the match itself, uh, once again, unnecessarily long. 
like like I said, it's a theme here, right? It just seems you should never be bored watching a ladder match. <laughs> a ladder ma- a six person ladder match should never drag. And there are several points in this match where it felt like it was dragging, which is unbelievable. I mean, you had the spots, right? You had um, Penta giving Cody a Canadian Destroyer onto a ladder that was set up on the outside. You know, the obligatory Canadian Destroyer spot. You had uh, Max Caster doing an elbow drop from the top of a ladder. You had Lance Archer just fucking killing everybody with choke slams. And I think he threw Scorpio Sky through a ladder on the outside. Lance Archer looked like a fucking beast in this match, and I loved every second of it. Um, so there were a lot of fun spots in this match, but ultimately I think it could have been condensed a little bit. Um, look, it's a car crash match, right? You don't need to drag it on. You don't need to, you know, have a crescendo. You don't need to, you know, have a the, the first act, the second act, all the way up to the eighth act. You, you just have a car crash for a little bit and get, then go home, right? And I, you know, I hate, look, this case, and this, this might be kind of contradicting what I just said, but with the whole Cody and his, he had an injured shoulder. I guess it was from the Canadian Destroyer, right? Or at least that's like the the the, the straw that broke the camel's shoulder. So he had that whole deal where Cody got, he got brought to the back, and oh my god! If I I wish I had more eyes to roll at that. The whole spot where somebody gets injured, quote unquote, then gets taken to the back. And then makes a miraculous comeback. Oh, Christ. This whole thing. Can you be more cliche and fucking generic? Holy shit. I guess that's Cody's thing, right? Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but other than that, uh, fun match overall. Uh, Scorpio Sky ends up winning the match after uh, kind of capitalizing on Cody's injured shoulder which allowed him to shove off Cody from the top of the ladder. And Scorpio Sky grabs the brass ring. And uh, really awesome to see. I think he's been injured for a while, right? Scorpio Sky. Injured, kept off TV, whatever it is. He's uh, He had a lot of momentum in the early days of AEW. And it's kind of been lost, you know, whether by bad luck or whatever. So this will hopefully allow him to recapture that momentum because I think he has a really, really bright... Uh, future, a lot of potential. He's really charismatic, great athlete, obviously. And uh, yeah, man, look forward to see. I guess so. I guess we'll be having him versus Darby Allen, huh? I'm assuming. So uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, if, if Scorpio can maintain that momentum and uh, become a major player there. Because I hope he does. Um, but then after that, we have the moment that a lot of people. We're waiting for a moment that was a catalyst, and I'm sure of a lot of people buying this pay per view is to see the new signing, the signing that Paul White teased on Dynamite, a major Hall of Fame worthy signing. Lots of names were thrown out there past, present, etc. American, Japanese, male, female, fat, gay, stupid, all of them. And the new signing is Christian Cage. Hell yeah, doggy. Love this shit, man. As soon as his theme, his his old TNA theme hit, I was like, cocksucker, this is fucking awesome. Goosebumps when I when I heard that music and saw him walk out there. Uh love it, man. Love it. I mean, of course, part of me wishes he could have had a a bigger presence in his return to WWE. We obviously saw him in the Royal Rumble a few months ago return, looking to be in great shape. And uh, like I said, part of me wishes he could have stayed there and had a really solid main event run or at least a high level run there. Um, But I think ultimately he would have just been like a... uh, an accessory piece in the build to Edge versus Roman at WrestleMania. He would have been Edge's buddy. You know what I mean? And I think Christian probably just had more faith in himself. I think he thought that he was capable of more than that. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. 
WWE didn't work out. I guess it just wasn't meant to be, but, and who knows if we'll ever, I, I assume a, this AEW run is going to be kind of his last hoorah, right? At least as like a full-time guy. You know, I, I wish he would have had more success in WWE. Um, although his feud with Orton and what was it 2011, that series of uh, pay-per-views where they had world title matches, that's probably one of my favorite series of matches of all time. Like consecutive pay-per-views, it, like every match built on itself, two of the best storytellers in wrestling, and they knocked it out of the park every single time. If nothing else, I can be satisfied that 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 was able to happen, that Christian was able to at least showcase to the WWE audience what he's capable of because he's done it in TNA, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to do it in AEW. But yeah, man, it's awesome. I mean, uh, WWE just, I don't know if it's Vince or whoever, but they just didn't seem to value him as a top guy, even his world title run. You know, the whole feud with Orton, that all all kind of arose due to Edge retiring. You know what I mean? If Edge would have stayed wrestling, who knows if that would have even happened. I don't think it would have. So um, I don't blame him for moving to AEW where, where he will potentially be more valued, at least by the uh, the powers that be. Um, but I say that, you know, we haven't seen it. We don't know what he's there for. We don't even know if he's really going to be a full-time wrestler or if he's going to pop in for a match or two. We don't really know anything at this point, but uh, I have high hopes. I am very optimistic, and I hope to see Christian shine in AEW. Like I said, great shape, you know, aside from just being like a very valuable veteran mind backstage for these new guys, because what, what does AEW get criticized for all the time, right? You know, spotty matches, no selling, you know, too many Canadian destroyers, too many plunges to the outside, you know, not selling when you're when, you know, just standing around there waiting to catch something, like all that shit, right? Christian is a guy that could really wrangle a lot of guys and kind of help formulate, take, take these delicious, dense, talented balls of clay. I shouldn't have, pa- I paused too long after balls there, I'm sorry. But molding these balls of clay into really, really well-rounded performers. Like, look at what Matt Hardy's done with Private Party. Private Party came in and they were just like colorful, silly string, goofy, spot, 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 here's some flips. But now they're more kind of a nuanced team a little bit. Christian can do that with guys too, whether he's working with them on screen or just backstage. He can be such a valuable person on the team to have so and i am a very early i went when it was going on i was a very uh, avid listener to the edge and christian podcast in fact i think if you go listen to that podcast you probably tell that's a lot of my inspiration as far as from a podcaster's standpoint but on that podcast christian would often say because they would take like Q&A from the fans and stuff like that. And he, of course, he would always get the questions of like, Christian, when, when, when can we see you back in the ring? When are you returning to WWE to be a full-time wrestler? And Christian was always like, look, the only way I'm going to come back is if I think I could compete at the level that I have always competed at. Christian basically was always saying that he would never return to the ring full-time unless he thought he could still go. And as I see him come out and he signs the contract, he gets into the ring, puts the contract in the ring. He's in AW now. I'm assuming he'll be at least a, a close to full-time wrestler. That probably that must mean that he has faith that he can still go. And I believe him. I believe him. So, I mean, just watching him in the Royal Rumble, he's, he looked great there. So, looking forward to see what he does in AEW. I mean, you know, fuck, man. Christian versus Kenny Omega. Christian versus Kenta versus Phoenix versus, you know, Hangman. The whole list of guys I'd love to see Christian face in AEW that he's never faced before. So that alone is awesome enough in my eyes for this to be a, a worthy signing for AEW. So good shit. Um, and if nothing else, we get his amazing TNA theme back. You know, remixed a little bit by Mikey Ruckus, but still awesome. So uh, good to see Christian. And speaking of legends, next match, 
another aspect of this show that a lot of people probably bought just because of this street fight we have team taz brian cage and ricky starks versus the team of darby allen and sting god is is, this tony shivani is he is that the only way he can say sting now for love of christ enough tony all right we heard you ski but um cinematic cinematic match i think a lot of people were predicting that but uh maybe backpedaled when they saw sting take some bumps on dynamite i myself was like man i think they might actually do a real match here but uh they didn't purely cinematic which is uh it's a rough one considering you got to think a lot of people probably bought tickets to watch sting (laughs) you know and they're just watching them on a big screen. I probably had a better view of Sting than the people in attendance did. But uh, other than that, man, this street fight here is very polarizing. People have very different opinions on it online. Personally, I thought it fucking ruled. I really, really enjoyed this street fight. It wasn't quite the level of the Boneyard match, but it was it was up there. Still very good. The production was a bit wonky at times. It was almost a little overdone. Uh, it was like overdone in some aspects, but like not done enough. And other, like, I don't know, it was a weird thing. Um, but I get what they're going for. And it, it did look really cool. Uh, even like the entrances with um, all the cars and, you know, Darby Allen coming in on a skateboard, like all that shit. The, the really dramatic entrances were awesome. I thought really built up to the match, and they had like a like a ring inside a warehouse, which was fun, I guess. Um, but I'll tell you before I even get into the match, I'm gonna tell you one thing I hated about it: it's the fucking commentary. We don't need commentary for cinematic matches. It doesn't make any sense. Why are we commentate like? Because you can tell, like, JR is, like, rolling his eyes throughout the whole thing. Tony Schiavone, too. It was just too... It was, like... It's blending two worlds when they shouldn't be blended. It's blending the cinematic, like, surreal, like, almost sci-fi kind of deal. Not sci-fi. You know what I mean, though. Like, dramatic, over-dramatic, you know, very action-packed kind of atmosphere. And then you have... Oh, so he gets him in a headlock, and then, oh, he's, he's got a trash can. Oh, and he hits him in that, like, you don't know. That's not, that's not needed. Let JR fucking rest his voice. Think for Christ's sake, he needed it. And you have Taz on commentary, which is like, I guess, in that aspect, I see because Taz obviously has a, a vested interest in this match because his boys are involved in it. So it was cool to see hear his reactions. But other than that, we didn't need the commentary. Um, you could have had Taz involved in it for all intents and purposes. You know what I mean? Like in, in the warehouse, meaning. Uh, so the commentary wasn't needed. It, they did the same thing with the broken... Um, it was Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara. That cinematic match. It's just not needed. It's just not needed. But the match itself was fun. Um, some cool spots. You had uh, people getting thrown through glass and shit. You had trash cans, baseball bats. Um, you had Darby Allen doing a coffin drop from like two floors up through like some wooden platform deal. Um, yeah, you, you know, the two teams paired off and fought. They had all their different, you know, stories involved. And you had Hook and Will Hobbs get involved. It was fun. It was a fun, it was a fun ride. It, it didn't stay too long. I don't think, um, it looked good, you know, just visually it looked good and, uh, I enjoyed it. Ultimately it's there to like hide stings weaknesses. I'm assuming because just because you can take a bump in a ring, just because you can hit a stinger splash doesn't mean you can have a long full length match, you know, even, even a tag match. So, um, all in all, I had fun watching it. Ultimately sting wins by hitting the scorpion death drop on ricky starks in the ring one two three and uh staying in darby allen the hoodlums win the match so hopefully this whole deal is over because i'm sick of seeing sting chase away a bunch of beefy grown men away with a bat like will Hobbs should take that bat and shove it up sting's ass like well, 
the man's over 60 years old. Like, you can take him. I think you can take him, Will Hobbs and Brian Cage and Rick Starks and Hook and Taz. I think you guys can take him. I believe in you. I believe in you. But boy, howdy. (laughs) The main event. AEW World Championship is on the line. Kenny Omega versus John Moxley in an exploding barbed wire death match wrestling. Um, it's funny. I don't even have notes for this match because I was just like zoned. <laughs> I, I love this shit, dude. I thought it was awesome. It, there were parts of it that were a little like a little silly. I mean, I like the explosions were pretty lame. Even not, I'm not even just talking about the, the final one. Like, all in all, the explosions were kind of like, they were very far away, and it's like, I don't know. Um, but ultimately, it's like, what, what am I expecting them to just fucking actually blow them up? No, I'm not. So, I can let that slide, but uh, yeah, man, just pure brutality in this match. I think this, this match was so much better than their previous, was it the Lights Out match at Full Gear 2019? That match that lasted like two fucking hours and it was just like, all right, we're going to do this spot. Walk, 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 walk. Okay, here's the next spot. Walk, 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 walk. Okay, spot number. Like it just felt like spots for the sake of spots. But this match here, I thought everything built on itself. I thought the story was being told. I thought they embraced the gimmick as much as they could have. Um... Yeah, it was just, it was fun. Some people don't like this kind of gory stuff. Although, honestly, I don't think it was like super gory myself, but some people don't like these hardcore matches and I get it. Like, I totally get it. But when when done well, I love this shit and I think these guys did it very well. Uh, lots of blood, lots of, uh, you know, obviously brutal barbed wire spots you know you had barbed wire draped over the ropes you had barbed wire like tables in the in two of the corners um there's barbed wire boards on the outside which what they call them the death spot they they had some some corny name for it where it was like these barbed wire boards on the outside and if you got thrown on it it would explode and the one time where that did happen where uh moxley hit the paradigm shift from the apron onto that board it was kind of a lackluster explosion, but it was like, whatever, it's fine. It's just for the visual. I can let it slide. Um, but man, yeah, to fucking Moxley taking that pair because he, he was given the move, but he by far got the worst end of it because he landed back first onto it and had to get out of it like a piece of Velcro. Like, holy shit. He had the spot where Mox like so when you get thrown into the ropes of barbed wire because the three only three of the sides are covered in barbed wire you get thrown into the ropes it explodes and there was a spot where moxley like kicked omega into it and it exploded and then he rebounded and moxley kicked him a second time it was like jesus um visually it looked pretty good but an aspect of this match that i loved was when kenny omega hit the one-winged angel like kind of near the ropes and Moxley did not kick out, but his foot just touched the rope and it exploded and <laughs> it exploded Kenny Omega off of Moxley. What a kick out that was, huh? <laughs> Very creative. I, lo- I love that. Um, yeah, man. Like I said, lots of blood, lots of brutality. Did not really need the good brother involvement, although I get it from, you know, why wouldn't they interfere? You know what I mean? But it just seems like the Good Brothers are just nameless henchmen again. Just like they were in WWE with AJ. Just two numbers to help another guy, you know? And I, I understand they're doing a lot of good stuff in TNA. Or, I'm sorry, in Impact. But, uh, yeah, it just felt like the Good Brothers came in there and beat up Moxley. Which kind of pretty much just led to the finish, right? Omega, man, this fucking shit. Omega has a bat wrapped in barbed wire, which is uh, fucking brutal enough, right? But no, no, no. We need a little bit more than that. We need a little sizzle. We need, like, literally, we need a little sizzle 
Let's make that bitch explode when I hit Moxley in the face with it. <laughs> Wrestling. Yes, so uh, the exploding barbed wire baseball bat hits Moxley in the face, but that is not able to keep him down. So Omega is forced to hit another one-winged angel onto a set-up steel chair. Really, really brutal-looking spot there as well, and that gives Omega the win, retaining the AEW world title. Like I said, love the match. But unfortunately... I don't think people are going to be remembering the match itself as much as what happened after. So, I'm going to start off with this by saying something that I loved about it. I love the fucking timer. I don't know if it was like like 10 minutes. I think it was like the... Because the whole premise here is that once the match starts, it sets off a timer. A 30-minute timer. And when it hits 30 minutes, the ring is going to explode. Whether the match is over or it isn't. I, you know, and that kind of let the crowd know that the match is going to go at least like close to 30 minutes, right? I think that's kind of a given, unfortunately, but that didn't really hinder my enjoyment of the match personally. Um, So Kenny Omega wins at, I guess, like what, the 26, 27 minute mark somewhere in there. So they keep on beating up Moxley. They uh, handcuff Moxley. Omega and the Good Brothers do beat him down some more, and then uh, the one minute left timer pops up. And uh, oh, what I was saying before is that I guess it was at the ten minute mark, ten minutes to go. There was like an audio timer, like it wasn't displayed anywhere, but you could hear like the doon 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 doon. I thought that shit was awesome. It was like a little campy, but I was like, man, that's that fucking rules. I feel like all wrestling matches should have that like sound effect in the background. Um, yes, so Moxley's beaten down. One minute to go before the ring explodes. Out comes Eddie Kingston to save John Moxley. To save the man that beat him at the Full Gear pay-per-view. Oddly enough, with barbed wire. But evidently there is some innate respect... Uh, friendship between Moxley and Eddie Kingston. So Eddie comes out to save Moxley. He can't pick him up. So he sees the timer about to hit zero. Eddie Kingston covers, heroically covers John Moxley. Covers his face with his body. Puts his face down. Three, two, one... God damn it. This amazing match. This dramatic moment. You have the timer. You have the music. You have the barbed wire, the blood. The commentators are into it. The crowd is backed off. We're all expecting this. This huge explosion that's going to just take the show off the air. We were all expecting this, this mushroom cloud of smoke and fire and cum all over the fucking screen. And what we see is what four sparklers and, uh, some, some of the same explosives they were using in the match. Just a little poof. (laughs) Seemingly something went wrong. I'm sure there was supposed to be more explosives, but you know, Technical difficulties are a bitch. <laughs> you know? We can all, you know, in hindsight, say what they should have done instead. Um, a lot of people are saying that Kingston should have called an audible and not sold it. But uh, one thing you got to think of is that Eddie Kingston, his face was down, so he couldn't really see anything. So he couldn't see how lackluster it was. I'm assuming. So... That that's really the because you can kind of like, and that's kind of what they did after the show. You can find it online where Moxley cut a promo. He's like, "Well, I guess uh, Kenny Omega couldn't uh, build a good bomb, 
something like that, right? They could have done that. It could have been Kenny Omega. I think he he tweeted it or he said somewhere where he's like, well, I'm not going to risk the chance of me exploding. Yeah, I'm not, of course I'm not going to make a, a, a real a real crazy explosion. So they could have gone with that angle of it. But the problem is that Eddie, <laughs> Eddie Kingston sold it like he was dead, um, which is just unlucky for him. But um, I said on Twitter, maybe... Maybe hey, maybe explosions are uh, a metaphor. You know, people were in a, were expecting fire and death, but really the explosion is the friendship that we witnessed before our eyes. The explosion is the love that Eddie Kingston had for Moxley. The explosion was our hearts by being in the presence of friendship so fierce as. It is between Kingston and Moxley. That's the real explosion, everybody. Don't worry that the the actual pyro was a twelfth as dramatic as Cody Rhodes' normal entrance. Don't worry about that. Just think of the explosion of love. Thank you all for coming and joining me in this Walk through passion, through letting me embrace your hearts through my voice, for letting me hold your hands through an audio medium, to allow me to put my tongue into your ear and caress your ear canal with my saliva, my lips, and most importantly, My explosion of love. I hope you all have a great evening. I hope all of your weeks are blessed and full of the explosion of love that we saw in this death match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley. Have a good day, everybody. I'm hard. Yeah.